The bombshell Durham report is just another smoking gun to trip over in this all-too-familiar jog down corruption lane. Here's a lie, there's a lie, everywhere there's a lie, lie, and the show starts now. You know, I wish I could say the Durham report is shocking, but it's not. It reads in clear black and white ink what we've known for literally years now. The Trump-Russia collusion hoax was not only a hoax, but a purposeful and brazen hoax perpetrated by Obama, Clinton, the FBI, the CIA, and of course, the media. They all colluded together to take down Trump on false pretenses, and it's sick. Obama's FBI had zero evidence of Trump-Russia collusion, but they kicked off the witch hunt, the first in the series anyway. Obama knew, Clinton knew, Comey knew, Brennan knew, Schiff, Strzok, Clapper, all of them knew the Steele dossier was BS. And not only did they know, they went forward with it anyway, and they'll probably do it again and again and again. And you know what's bad when even CNN admits it. Regardless, the report is now here. It has dropped. And it might not have produced everything of what some Republicans hoped for. It is regardless devastating to the FBI and to a degree, it does exonerate Donald Trump. You think? But that's too little too late. The damage has been done and a little whoopsie oopsie isn't going to make up for it. But I'm sure that's all we're going to get. Trump was sabotaged. Imagine all he could have gotten done during his presidency if he wasn't constantly plagued by BS investigations from the activist intelligence agencies. The Russia hoax, the Hunter Biden laptop cover up. What do they have in store for 2024? I shudder at the thought. I've said it before and I will say it again. How terrified they are of Trump should terrify all of us. But still ahead, the Republican candidate will be sabotaged, no doubt. What can the GOP do to have a fighting chance in 2024? My next guest travels the country doing the hard work to win this fight. I've got Scott Pressler on deck. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back, and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless, from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. I don't care if you want Don or Ron or Mickey Mouse as our nominee in 2024. If Republicans don't learn how to get out the vote, we will lose and we will keep losing. I, for one, am sick of losing. How about you? 2020 was a disaster and I'm still bitter about it too. Believe me, COVID was weaponized, mass mail-in voting and early voting was nationalized and the Democrats hid their candidate in the basement. 
Then the 2022 midterms happened. We didn't get a red wave. We got a pink splash. We picked some bad candidates. We didn't get out the vote. We didn't play the game and we lost. Question is, are we going to sit back and let it happen again in 2024 and then spend the next four years complaining about it? Or are we going to get into the game? You know, I hate mass mail-in voting, too. I hate ballot harvesting and early voting and all of it. But it's not going anywhere. So we better get used to it or lose again. Right now, we're all fired up about the Ron versus Don thing. But I'll be frank with you. We could put up Jesus Christ and still lose to Joe Biden if we don't get our electioneering together. Throughout all of this, one man has been warning us. He's been on the ground in major cities and small towns. He's been registering voters, setting up drop boxes, and doing the dirty work that most RNCers refuse to do. And if we had even 100 patriots out there like him, we might actually have a fighting chance to take this country back from the brink. Joining me now is that man, conservative activist Scott Pressler. Scott, it's so great to have you. Hey, thank you, Tommy. Pleasure to be here. So you put out a tweet ahead of the 2022 midterms to me that was so important. You said, hey, guys, I've been on the ground here. This is not going to be a red wave. And I can tell you right now, what did you see then that convinced you that our elections in the midterms were going to be underwhelming at best? Well, you know, in the last two years, I've traveled to over 30 states. I'm on the ground. I'm talking to the voters every single day. I'm talking to people that aren't even Republicans, but independent voters. And I just saw apathy. I saw so many people talking about a red wave that, as you mentioned, never materialized. And we just weren't putting in the work necessary in order to win in 2022. And yes, we took the House, but we lost the Senate seat in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And we only have a narrow majority in the House of Representatives. We didn't win in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin important gubernatorial seats that would have helped us pass legislation going into 2024. And so right now, I believe you're correct that we currently don't have the infrastructure necessary to even elect President Trump or Governor Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley, unless we focus on an all of the above approach to voting, which includes election day, early voting, mail-in voting, absentee voting, and where legal ballot harvesting, unless we do those things, I don't see any candidate defeating Joe Biden at this moment in time. When you're out on the ground and you're talking to people about early voting or mail-in voting or ballot harvesting where it's legal. What is the reception from your typical Republican voter? Are they on board with that or is there still a hesitation, a resistance to get into that part of the game? It's both. There are some people that are still fighting with me and that believe that, you know, we need one day, one vote, one paper ballot. Look, I get it. To those of you out there, I hear you, I understand you. But the fact of the matter is y'all, in states that we don't have power, like California or Oregon or Pennsylvania, how are we possibly going to provide for layers of election integrity unless we win? And so we're going to use every legal and lawful tool advantage to win. And then once we are in positions of power, we can then provide for election integrity. But I will tell you, I've been hearing from voters, for example, in Northwest Wisconsin, that once I presented a compelling message about early voting and giving them stats and numbers, then it clicked. Then they got it. And right now, 
our major hurdle as Republicans going into 2024 is a mass education campaign talking about the value of early voting. And that's something that needs to be done right here, right now. I follow you on Twitter, of course, and I see your messages from around the country. And I saw one in particular that I thought was interesting. You talked to a pastor in Oregon that is now working yes. on setting up unofficial drop boxes. Tell my audience what that entails, what that means, and how they can replicate that in their own city or state. Certainly. Well, we are a federalistic society, meaning that we have 50 different states and 50 different laws for all of those states. So what happened in 2016 is after President Trump won, you see the Democrats, they are so gosh darn smart. They changed the law and they did it legally. They actually allowed for ballot harvesting going into 2018. And so there is a law on the books right now at this very second that allows for unofficial drop boxes, meaning that Scott Pressler, I could have my own barbecue ballots at my home and turn my home in Oregon into an unofficial drop box where people come deliver their ballots. So we started reaching out to pastors and faith leaders, educating them that they can have members of their parish or congregation turn in their ballots at an unofficial drop box at the church. And we just tried this in the election that was yesterday on May 16th. And yes, it was only a few number of ballots, but let's use this year, 2023, as a guinea pig test going into 2024 and focus on gun shops and gun shows and crawfish festivals and festivals and fairs and rodeos. Wherever our conservative voters are, we need to have those drop boxes in states that it's legal in order to get every conservative vote locked in. Because the Democrats are doing it. They've mastered it. Of course, it started in California, this whole ballot harvesting thing. I've never liked it. I don't think it should be legal. But you know what? It's becoming legal in a lot of places. So we better get in the game or we're going to lose. You're exactly right. I hear so many Republicans, so many conservatives, so many Trump supporters that say, I, I don't want to do that. I don't believe we have election integrity. So I just don't care anymore. I think that there's a lot of people who were so fed up with the system that they don't even want to play the game. And that's only going to lead to us losing and losing and never being able to correct anything, never being able to right the ship. If we don't win an election, we can't change anything. But I want to talk about, you know, the big conversation nationally, of course, is going to be the GOP nomination. Donald Trump versus Ron DeSantis. When you're out on the ground, we know what the poll numbers say. When you're talking to Republicans, self-proclaimed conservatives, which way do you see them sitting? Is it towards Donald Trump, which the polls suggest, or are more people quiet Ron DeSantis voters and they don't want to be vocal about it? Uh, it's hard for me to answer. I want to preface this by saying that I'm not getting involved in the presidential primary. I think it's possible to acknowledge what President Trump has done for our country and also acknowledge what Governor DeSantis has done and say both men are good men that have contributed to our country in a positive fashion. That's number one. So I'm not getting involved. My message is we need to register voters, focus on early voting, build the infrastructure, and ultimately provide that whoever our nominee is, that person can ultimately win once they're the nominee. But I will tell you, there are a lot of diehard Trump supporters, and there are a lot of Floridians that love what Governor DeSantis has done. That's fine. My main message is, y'all, 
Let's focus on saving the fight peacefully for the Democrats. Let's focus on how Joe Biden has been with his policies been destroying the progress that we made under the Trump administration. Let's save the fight for the Democrats. But I will say one thing, and I'm not endorsing this candidate, but I have loved what I've seen from Vivek Ramaswamy. Because right now in South Shore, Chicago, members of the Black community, they are speaking out vehemently opposed to illegal immigration. Y'all, why are we as Republicans and conservatives not descending upon Chicago, reaching out to the Black community and talking about how our conservative vision is actually going to benefit Black America? And actually, this Friday, Vivek Ramaswamy is heading to Chicago to go on a listening tour. I want to see more of that, where Republicans, we shut our traps, we open our ears, we listen to the community, and then we talk about how our Republican vision is going to benefit every single member of society. You're exactly right. I'm so glad that you brought that up. We need to show up in places that conservatives sometimes don't like to go, right? We think we're unwelcome places, so we just don't go. We don't spend enough time on college campuses. We don't spend enough time in inner cities. We don't spend enough time in urban areas, and we're going to continue to lose. It's not a lost cause. We can make voters that are not typically conservatives or Republicans. We can flip them because the facts are on our side, but we can't do that if we refuse to show up. There's another group I want to get your take on, and that is Gen Z millennials. We know that Biden has a stranglehold, especially on the Gen Z population. We know he's got TikTokers doing the work, getting people excited in that in that age bracket. What can Republicans do to be cool to Gen Z, or in, in what way can we reach them where they're at and send a message of capitalism, conservatism, freedom? How do we do it? What have you seen, and what can we do better? Well, I will say I reached out to the National Party leadership asking what their plan of action is. I'm still waiting to hear that. But look, I'm not going to wait for the party to take action. I've already tweeted out, if you are a Gen Z conservative and you are impassioned and want to take action, reach out to me. And so I've been on the phone almost every single day with Gen Z conservatives across the country. And first just asking them, what do they care about? Because ultimately, I have to be able to craft policy or craft legislation that is going to appeal to the Gen Zs. They want individual liberty and freedom. They don't want big government censorship, that they have to worry about what they're going to write in a college paper or what they can say on social media without getting in trouble. And ultimately, these are people that want to be family Uh, They want to have families and they want to be able to own property and not have their property taxes go so high that it's going to make it unaffordable for them to be a homeowner. Those are, I think, policies that we can focus on as conservatives, a strong, robust economic message as well that is going to attract Gen Z voters. But I think ultimately what's going to help us is what we're seeing from Joe Biden and his administration is this is not organic coming from the Gen Z. They're having to pay people. They're having to buy people's support. From us, it's going to be organic. And to anybody listening at home right now, to Tommy Lauren and myself, if you're a Gen Z and you want to take action, please, my Twitter is at Scott Pressler. I would love the opportunity to speak with you. 
You're right. We need to play the game on all fronts. We need to meet people where they are. We have to get out of our rut. We have to stop being so prudish with everything we talk about, discuss, places that we go, our strategy. We need to make it modern and we need to have a fighting chance because we cannot lose in 2024. All the hard work that you've put in, that I've put in, that President Trump put in, that Ron DeSantis put in will be for nothing if we do not win in 2024. Also, I'm so happy that you talk about other issues besides just national races. These state and local races are still very important. State and local races, especially school board, city council, that impacts conservatives where they are, probably even more so than the policies made in Washington, D.C. So those races matter, and we need to just get in the game, and we need to have a fighting spirit. Scott, I really appreciate you for going out there and doing the hard work. You don't get enough appreciation for it. So please keep tweeting away. Let the rest of us know what we can do to help, and God bless your fight. I will, and if I may plug a super PAC that I just launched, Early Vote Action, earlyvoteaction.com. I'm focused on Arizona, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. We win those five. We win the White House in 2024. Would love everybody's help. And Tommy, thank you so much for the opportunity today. Absolutely, and that's fantastic. I think that's such a great strategy. We need to win those states, my goodness. Scott, be safe out there and keep, keep up the great work. Thank you. Still ahead, she walked away from the Democrats and now she's going scorched earth on the whole party. Natalie Beisner is with me next. I spent the majority of the Trump administration hating that man. I couldn't tell you why I hated him exactly, but I could definitely tell you that I hated him. But as two weeks to slow the spread turned into two months and counting, I did start to have some questions. No one was talking about opening up again, getting people back to work. And then summer 2020, I was told, we were all told, both implicitly and also explicitly, that I could go out and riot or protest, but I still couldn't go to work. For the first time in my life, I could draw a clear, undeniable line from my current state of suffering, my current quality of life, to Democrat policies. And the Democrat Party has proven me correct every single day since walking away. Amen. Uh, Natalie Beisner was a lifelong Democrat, self-proclaimed liberal zealot, if you will. Liberalism clouded her mind so much she drove 100 miles to vote for <coughs> Hillary Clinton. But then, in the summer of 2020, something changed. She had that epiphany, a come-to-Jesus moment, and walked away from the Democrat Party. And I'm so happy that she joins me now. Natalie, it's so great to have you, and I'm so happy that you walked away from the Democrat Party. I really want to pick your brain as to all the reasons why. Well, thank you so much for having me, Tommy. Um, your interview with Trevor Noah was a big influence on me as I was walking away, so I'm really honored to be here. Oh, that's so kind of you. I really appreciate that. You know, Walking away from the Democrat Party is something that we've seen from a lot of folks over the last several years. I think that 2020 really was a turning point for a lot of people, especially because of yeah. COVID. I lived in California at the time before moving to Tennessee, and I looked around at all these people who were basically afraid to go outside, and they were waiting for the government to tell them that they could breathe freely. And I thought that yeah. that would be more of a turning point for more people. Sadly, I was mistaken. But I want to talk about you know, before you walked away. I want to talk about getting into the mind of a liberal, especially a liberal that is really a self-proclaimed zealot, as I said. You said in your video that you hated Donald Trump. You didn't quite know why you hated Donald Trump. Do you think yes. that it was the media that had the biggest influence, your friends, your family? What was it 
that have that liberal message so ingrained in your mind? Well, I'm more convinced than ever, especially since making that video and having it get some attention online, both negative and positive. Um, from the negative attention, I'm more convinced than ever that the left is a cult. And um, it was certainly the media. Uh, I was just, I think a lot of Americans are peripherally involved in politics and it's hard to keep up with what is real news, what's fake news. And it's easy, especially in Southern California, I was an actress for a long time. It's easy to just believe the media, especially if you've never had any reason to not believe them. And then of course, after I walked away, I realized how much I'd been lied to about Donald Trump. Um, seeing the full Charlottesville press conference was a big eye-opening moment for me. Uh, that he did not, in fact, say very fine people on both sides, including Nazis. Um, so it certainly it was the media and it was the people that were around me. Um, and I just didn't question it. And I'm sorry I didn't question it sooner. Well, it's you and a lot of people. And unfortunately, a lot of people are still not questioning what they see mm -hmm. and what they hear. I mean, the examples lately have been countless. I'm wondering, because now we have the Durham report that we know the whole Trump-Russia collusion thing was a lie. It was mm -hmm. a hoax, no collusion, no obstruction, no quid pro quo. We know all of this was total BS. But back during mm -hmm. that time, during the leading up to the 2016 election and through the entire Trump presidency, were you convinced that Trump was a Russian agent working on behalf of Putin? I, I'm embarrassed to say this, Tommy. I didn't even follow it at all. I didn't know. And so could I have told you, oh, sure he is. But I just, like I said, I knew he was bad. I knew, I saw the clips. I saw that he was brash and just, I could, I could not tell you why he was bad specifically. I couldn't tell you anything. Was he a Russian agent? And here's why. Obviously, I couldn't tell you that. No one can. Um, because there is no evidence that he was. But it's just, I, I think it is just blinders on and you believe what you want to believe and it's easy to do right now as a leftist because you have Hollywood you have all of the media and even right now I don't think that the news coming out about Trump right now I don't think that it will change unfortunately a lot of people's opinions of him it's so easy to stay with your blinders on no, you're right, and that's what I'm concerned about as well, that every time we get a smoking gun about Biden family corruption, mm -hmm. pay-to-play, yes. you know, the classified documents that he had in his flipping garage, and people just don't mm. seem to care about any of it, no. including how wrongfully they have gone after Donald Trump. People don't seem to care, mm. but I'm wondering, because I also lived in California, in Southern California, mm. in the L.A. area, so I'm wondering, is it primarily the social issues, the cultural issues that make a lot of those really hardcore liberals so hardcore liberal? Is it the gay issues, the abortion issues? Is that what's really driving it? Climate change being another one? Mm -hmm. Would you say that that is more important to your typical liberal than the fiscal issues, our economy, our national security? I think so. I think that the left has done a very good job, especially with my generation, our generation and younger, uh, painting themselves as the side of compassion. And I think most people, myself included, uh, fancy themselves compassionate people. And it's easy to get sucked into that. And uh, I think we're all feeling the economy right now, but leftists, liberals, uh, new liberals, um, they have an answer for that as well, that the problem is capitalism and, you know, the problems, climate change and all of this. And it's it's really doom and gloom. So it's not exactly a bright message that people would want to glom onto. But I think in a lot of ways, my generation and younger generations, uh, we haven't had really that 
ability to take a big part in activism. You know, it's like all of the civil rights were already achieved by the time that we got here. And I think a lot of my generation is lost. Obviously, we're godless in many ways. And I do believe, as others have said before me, that if you don't believe in God, you're going to find somebody or something to replace him. And that is what the left has done. And certainly, I think they have a great messaging on all of the social issues and being the side of tolerance and compassion. Yeah. yeah. They're so tolerant, as you have found out since you've walked away from the Democrat Party. Actually, the least tolerant people out there, the most hateful people Mm -hmm. I've ever met are liberals that are very active liberals, very politically active Mm -hmm. liberals uh, in their minds, at least. I don't know if they really do much other than be just absolutely um, ferocious with their ideas Mm -hmm. and their ideologies. But I want to talk about COVID again. I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten about the COVID era for good reason, because we'd all like to forget it. But... I was really confused during the COVID era because I lived in LA, right? I was with a lot of people that everything was organic. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. The man is awful. You know, we want to be free as a bird. We want to go out into the water and hike and we want to eat bugs and, you know, play on rocks. I mean, that's like the liberal hippy dippy lifestyle. (laughs) But then those are the same people that so quickly put on one to two masks, stayed in their homes and then got one, Mm -hmm. two, three, four shots. Was that surprising to you? Because I know that you had an awakening, but for others, were you surprised to see liberals taking the side of big pharma and also sitting in their homes being afraid of the nature that they proclaim to love? I was very surprised, yes. And I cannot really even describe now why it is that more people, I I know for a fact a lot of people had some type of awakening in 2020, um, even in liberal Los Angeles. I've met so many online and in person, but I wish that more had woken up, for lack of a better phrase. I can't tell you why they didn't. Um, and, it, and it did surprise me. I'm, admittedly, I was on board at first. I I should have probably immediately been clued into something's wrong here, but I just, I was too ignorant and I did everything that they said. And then it was really summer 2020 when there was just such blatant hypocrisy in the response to COVID versus the response to the BLM unrest that that's what really turned me. But at first I was on board. And like I said, I think it's a cult. I I know it's a cult. And I think they have a, do a good job of this is what you do to be a compassionate person. This is what you do to do your part and the collective. And uh, a lot of people fell for it and they fall for it still. So my last question for you, you had an awakening, but what can you do? What can I do? What can conservatives do to really facilitate that awakening for others. You know, I make fun of liberals mm-hmm. all the time, right? I find it funny. Mm-hmm. I call them green-haired weirdos. You know, that's just, <laughs> it's, a, it's a shtick, it's a bit that I have, right? But I also do want to convince more liberals like yourself that they should be yeah. on the side of capitalism and freedom and national security and patriotism. But I'm wondering, coming from somebody who was not in so, so distant future, a liberal, what can conservatives do to better bring people into our tent? Because I don't know if what we're doing currently is working. Uh, I would agree with you. Uh, that's a big question, obviously. Um, I think continuing to speak common sense, that will always win out in the end. Um, I do think that conservatives, Republicans have to get on board with really trying to reach Generation Z, especially more effectively. I think we saw that with the midterms. And again, that's a place where Democrats have a speed right now. And we need to focus on that. I think 
I really believe that we need to start uh, creating more culture. And I admit that I'm part of the problem with that. You know, I, I love what I do. I think I have an effective voice, an effective message, an interesting story a lot of people can relate to. But a lot of times, self-included conservatives are reacting to the insanity of the left, to the culture that they dictate. And there's very little of us creating our own culture, creating our own movies, our own parallel economy. You know, Rumble's great, all of that. But I think there's a big untapped market. And also liberals, especially young liberal women, young people in general, and I'm not happy to say this, they are very unhappy, more unhappy than ever before. So I don't think they're entrenched in this belief. I think it just has a hold on them right now. But there is a big opening for conservatives to come back, revitalize the American dream and and offer that to young people. And we just have to step in and and do it. And I believe we can. I believe we can too, but it's going to be an uphill battle. We've got a lot of hearts and minds to change and we've got a lot of fixing to do. But I agree with yeah. you. You know, we can't just sit back and talk about how ridiculous the left is. <laughs> we have to show that freedom is always the side to be on. Uh, Natalie, I'm so happy that you came over to the right side of history, and I'm so happy that you're on our side now to convince more people. Thank you for your message. Thank you for being so bold, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you, Tommy. Coming up, did Miller Lite executives see the Bud Light transgression and say, hold my beer, literally? My final thoughts are next. School, sports, sitcoms, movies, Bud Light, and now Miller Lite. Everything has gone woke, which leads me to question, is there anything left for us normal people anymore? It's time for Final Thoughts. So now that conservatives and really just normal, non-woke people in general have been screwed over by Bud Light, we have our eyes peeled for other brands who have decided to delve into liberal politics while happily running the risk of pissing off their actual customers. And turns out, even before Bud Light committed their big Dylan Mulvaney transgression, Miller Lite put out an ad that was apparently supposed to commemorate Women's History Month, but really was just another cheap shot at straight men. Again, the bulk of their actual customer base. And while this Miller Lite ad is far less egregious than a biological man in a prom gown mocking actual women, it's still not great. Drink it in. Look at this Wild. It's time beer made it up to women. So today, Miller Lite is on a mission to clean up not just their but the whole beer industry's Miller Lite has been scouring the internet for all this and buying it back so that they can turn it into good for women brewers. First, we turn the bad into compost. Then we feed compost to worms. Push out beautiful fertilizer. That good helps farmers grow quality hops, which has been donated to women brewers to make their own really good But there's definitely more out there. In your attic, in the garage, in your parents' basement, send any you got into Miller Lite and they'll turn that into good too. So here's to women, because without us, there would be no beer. The plague of wokeism strikes again, and I'm a little heartbroken because Miller Lite is, or it was, my beer of choice. That being said, I will still take man-hating feminism over the trans propaganda and female mockery brought to us by the Bud Light Mulvaney Partnership. I mean, at least Miller Lite had the decency to use real women, which leads me to believe they must be biologists. But their ad is apparently supposed to serve as some kind of an apology or a reckoning for past advertisements featuring scantily clad women, like somehow that's offensive to women. 
And while I don't speak for all women, I can tell you seeing pretty women in beer ads doesn't offend me. If your core base is straight men, then featuring attractive women isn't just expected, it's business savvy. The messaging from the left on this issue makes zero sense. It is logically bankrupt. The same group of people who applaud trans women in bikinis on the cover of Sports Illustrated or Lizzo with her fat rolls hanging out also in a bikini on social media are offended by actual women with fit bodies posing in bikinis from the 1970s to date? So if you're fat in 2023, it's aspirational. But if you were fit and pretty from 1975 till about 2020, you were being exploited? And as far as I know, those women in the classic non-woke Miller Lite ads weren't forced to do it. It wasn't bikini and beer slave labor, folks. But Miller Lite knows that. This isn't about that. This is about activists within the company who have taken it upon themselves to shame both men and women for preferring to look at swimsuit models and ads than whatever the hell the political point is they are trying to make here. We the consumer don't need butch women in ugly sweaters and overalls lecturing us about sexism or misogyny or feminism when we really just want to, I don't know, drink a light beer at a ball game for crying out loud. We are sick and tired of this crap being shoved down our throats. Just ask Bud Light. They got the message loud and clear whether they want to do something about it or not. And though this Miller Light feminist ad came out before executives saw the Bud Light fallout, that's not an excuse. You should know your customer base, Miller Lite. You think Target would have me, Tommy Lahren, modeling their line of pride apparel? Yeah, probably not. Miller Lite should have known better, and if they didn't, they better start hiring better starting <laughs> now. And for the liberals out there squawking about the ridiculousness of conservatives being offended by beer ads, let's not forget y'all literally canceled syrup, rice, and butter. So get off your high horses. You invented cancel culture. We're just following your lead. And those are my final thoughts. Be sure to check out Outkick's YouTube. Like and subscribe. From Nashville, God bless and take care.